Hi, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Through Nick and Thin. podcast where we watch every Nicolas Cage movie in chronological order so that you don't have to. I'm your host, my name is Steve. Joining me as always is the exquisite co-host, Hannah. Hannah, how are you doing this week? I'm good. It's Monday. I'm feeling fresh. I'm feeling ready for this. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. How are you doing? I'm doing well. So we almost essentially did back-to-back episodes uh, because we published our last episode just a mere few days ago. So I should put an asterisk on the line of we watch every Nicolas Cage movie in chronological order uh, because this week we sort of watched the movie Dark. Now, a few weeks ago, we talked of a movie called Dying of the Light. A few months ago. A few months ago, probably at this point. (laughs) It was 2014 and we're in 2017. Yes. Long time ago. In in, in Nicolas Cage chronology. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) It's like dog years. Yeah. (laughs) So... That movie, Dying of the Light, we spoke about, Hannah brought up, where Paul Schrader, the legendary director and screenwriter, he wrote uh, Taxi Driver, American Gigolo, lots of great movies. Dog Eat Dog. Dog Eat Dog. <laughs> uh, another Nicolas Cage movie. He directed that movie, but then the producers and the production company stepped in, and in post, they did not give Paul Schrader a final cut, which is not uncommon, but Paul Schrader felt as though it was so far from his original vision. Yep. Um, that he started speaking out against it, but he was forced, him, Nick Cage, Anton Yelchin, one of the other stars, were forced to sign a non-disparagement clause, meaning that they cannot speak poorly about this movie, Dying of the Light. So flash forward to where we are now, 2017, Paul Schrader took the DVD copies and maybe some B-roll that they had filmed previously that he had on hand, and he stitched together his own version of the movie, and he called it Dark. Uh, in this movie, <laughs> in the original movie at least, Nicholas play- Nicholas Cage plays a CIA agent who is suffering from early onset dementia due to the fact that he was tortured at a younger age by a terrorist. And this terrorist, many years later, develops a familial rare blood disorder. And so Nicholas Cage sees that this terrorist... Uh, He's able to track him down through the through, medication that through, he's receiving. Exactly. So Nicolas Cage, against the CIA's will, goes to find this terrorist to kill him with, along with his buddy Anton Yelchin. So that's the overall layout of the movie. And in the original movie, I guess I'll say here as well, Nicolas Cage has a face-to-face showdown by impersonating the doctor with this terrorist, and he doesn't kill him, and he goes back to his hotel, and he's kind of distraught. And then the terrorist shows up and starts killing a bunch of people. So Nick Cage goes on a rampage and kills everybody, including the terrorist, and then kills himself. And that's how the movie ends of Dying of the Light. But we're going to talk about what happens in Dark, and we're going to talk about how we were able to, quote-unquote, watch this movie. But I think that's the longest... I usually give like a 10 word preamble. or less preamble, but that's, I feel like there's a lot of background that needs to be discussed. Especially time. because this isn't a new movie. I, I guess this would be the most similar in terms of what we've watched as to Industrial Symphony number one. Yes, it was number one. <laughs> um, where it was just a cut from Wild at Heart. Right. There was one scene from Wild at Heart and then a whole bunch of artsy shit. And that's very similar to what this was. Indeed. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure you can imagine if you know my opinion on Wild <laughs> at uh, Industrial Symphony, you can imagine how much I enjoyed this. Sure. 
Um, I do have some facts some behind the scenes. I read a pretty interesting article about this whole situation. Yeah. Um, in my attempt to find this movie, I skimmed through many articles. So I'm, I'm curious what sort of specific details you have on this movie. I will share them. But first, I thought it would be helpful to, I guess, level set on the scores that Dying in the Light got. Mm, okay, yeah. So Dark is not rated because it was never theatrically released. Right. It would be illegal if Paul Schrader would release it theatrically. I'll get to that. Yeah. Dying in the Light had a 4.4 out of 10 and an 8% on Rotten Tomatoes. Oof, that's not good. I forgot I, it was that low. <laughs> it was terribly low i i also i went back in my notes and i couldn't find the um box office last time but the budget was five million dollars and i remember that nick's salary was one million dollars so one-fifth of the budget whoa i just uh double checked on imdb i'm not sure if you have it there the uh score for dark is a i couldn't find dark on imdb is a seven Oh, on imdb better so much better and it was and it says 151 reviews so wow like it got a fair it's chance probably the only people who have ever watched it yeah and they're probably all it's quite difficult to find they're probably all film snobs snobs yes. which we i'm sure not. you'll go into yeah yeah i have a few buzzwords to describe this movie can't wait so as steve kind of touched on this movie was made because of a lot of disagreements that happened between a lot of different parties Mm-hmm. Um, dark was made, not Dying the Light was made. And it's hard to call it a movie. It's just a recut of an original yeah. film. Um, so the original people who financed Dying of the Light wanted a more conventional espionage thriller than what Schrader intended in his original cut back when he was working on Dying of the Light. His original, um, I guess, like, first edit of the movie, he showed... The people who were financing the movie and they were like, no, this is too experimental. This is too like subjective. Yeah. We are not interested in this. This is a Nick Cage thriller movie. We want to make it a Nick Cage thriller movie. And Paul was like, okay, fine. I guess we'll go back to the cutting room floor most literally. Mm-hmm. But I'm not very happy about that because you know my style. You hired me because yeah. you like Taxi Driver. <laughs> Why would you hire Paul Schrader and not make a Paul Schrader movie? Why do right. you want to make this cookie cutter espionage thriller? Right. Um, so essentially what happened was Paul Schrader found out in an email from Grindhouse Entertainment, who I guess was sold the rights to the uh, the uh, editing of the movie and the, produ- and the production of the movie or the release in the movie. And um, their attorneys um, basically saying like cease and desist we no longer want you to participate in editing this film thank you for your time Um, but we're going a different creative direction Mm. and that very much set paul off he was incredibly unhappy with that started bad mouthing them and that's when the anti-defamation or disparagement clause Mm -hmm. came about which nick was uh, forced to be in as well Nick said about it that the unfortunate aspect to having had so many careers and so many genres is that they can make a case to put me in box B instead of box A just for money's sake. Yeah. Okay. I can see that. Meaning that, like what you just said, the producers say, hey, we've got Nicolas Cage. Why isn't this a Nicolas Cage movie when he's like, no, I'm an artist. I want to make an artsy movie. Exactly. And they're like, no, no, no. So Nick has said, I'm an A-list actor being forced into B-list presentations simply because I did action hits a million years ago. It never should have come to this. And then no further comment. So there's no real comment from Nick on Dark. 
Okay. Um, the last thing that he said was that he was like, I don't want to talk about this anymore. Um, mm-hmm. Back when he was being interviewed for Dying in the Light, I couldn't find too much on what Nick has publicly come out and said about Dark. Yeah. Um, but I assume Paul and Nick like talked about it. I'm, yeah. I'm sure he saw the first new cut of it. I'm sure he saw some version yeah. of Dark. They're yeah. cool. Yeah. They're they buddies. Seem cool. Yeah. Because they went on to film Dog Eat Dog together. Exactly. They're yeah. simpatico. Um, <laughs> so we can talk about this movie mm-hmm. maybe we should wait until we talk about how we watched it to to speak about how it was edited okay all i will say is that the new cut is oh. 70 minutes mm-hmm. um the original movie was 96 minutes long 94 minutes long and paul schrader has been legally barred from releasing from releasing this commercially and making any money on it so the only way that you can watch it is you can go to ucla mm-hmm and ask for a digital copy to be viewed at the university. Mm-hmm. You can go to UT Austin mm-hmm. and also get a digital copy. The Harry Ransom Center, I think it's called. The Harry Ransom Center. Mm-hmm. Or you can go on a very reputable site. Um, There's one more. The Museum oh, of Modern one? Art. The, the, the MoMA. The, yes. The MoMA. <laughs> so you can go to New York, Austin, or LA, and you have to request a private viewing. Mm-hmm. To watch mm-hmm. this movie because it cannot be disseminated in any fashion. Uh, full disclosure, we did not go to either of these three places. <laughs> we did not. I'm not sure if we would, even if it wasn't a pandemic right now. That's true. Um, that seems like a lot. <laughs> well, and also we were pretty late on last week's podcast, That's so true. we had to slap this together we, in a few days. We were a little under the gun here. I, I'll be honest. I had an email typed up to the... You whatever I think it was you have to show Austin. up in person I, and ask for it. Then I realized that I didn't send the email. So because I the only one that had like a contact the administrator was the one in Austin, the Harry Ransom Center gotcha. in Austin. So I wonder uh, how yeah. much that like front desk person gets asked for this film. At least 151 yeah, times. There you go. <laughs> well, or you can find it on. Oh yeah. Uh, what is it called? Pirate Bay. Pirate Bay. Yeah. So Pirate Bay is one of like the most classic streaming torrenting uh, pirating of movies uh places to go to that was one of the first and right. so but now, we hear it through nick and thin never get anything illegally it we happened to be at our library no always get things from the library <laughs> yeah. if we can't find them on streaming i've honestly i've honestly never used pirate bay and no, nor I, have I. and i I'll, I'll be honest again i tried to use pirate bay because again this was put on Pirate Bay by the director for what he calls historical artistic reference okay. and and not for any monetary gain. So I figured it's okay to find, yeah, that's fair. you know, quote unquote. It's illegally. not like this movie could make any money if you viewed it anywhere else. Exactly. And we already watched Dying of the Light. Right. <laughs> we watched, in a legal way. In a, and I we presume. paid for it probably some way or another. Didn't you have to like download a different VPN or something in order yeah, to watch so, it? So... There's a website, it's called like uh, torrentreader.com and it's like this magazine or website all about torrenting things and they were talking about this movie because it's an interesting story and they gave you the link to the Pirate Bay to torrent it and every time I clicked on the link to either download it, anonymously stream it or torrent it, it kept bringing up ExpressVPN. Got it. We um, have NordVPN, not sponsored. Not sponsored. I mean, if you guys are listening. (laughs) We do not want your money. We downloaded it. Oh yeah, we don't want your money. We don't want your money because we use a Kesha song (laughs) without her permission, so we cannot make money from this. You can send us a free trial code to give 
You can send us a code See, to give to our listeners. N- no, because right? then we're promoting their product. Oh, you can fuck right off. Exactly. <laughs> if you're listening, turn it off right now. We don't want you. We don't want your business. We, we can't use someone else's artistic creation to promote someone else, like a third party business. They can't even like send us swag or anything like that? No, oh. because then that's bribery. Mm, fair. <laughs> I mean, if we go back Can to we the... send them swag? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe we should. Just the... <laughs> send, send them to the C-suite at, at NordVPN. At NordVPN. Just we'll get some stickers some made stickers up. and hats and t-shirts. <laughs> some tote so bag. Goofy. Yeah, that's... I mean, that's pretty much it. Like I, like I said, there's some things that I can say about the way that this was edited, but... I think we should talk about how we watched this, what we watched, the scenes that we were able to see of the 70-minute cut, since we just expressed to you that we didn't go to the Museum of Modern Art, we did not go to Austin, <laughs> Texas, or to UCLA in order to see this film. We certainly did not. <laughs> so in my reading and searching, and like I said, I couldn't find it through Pirate Bay, and we weren't going to any of one of those locations, the best that we could do, what I found in these articles that I was reading was... Uh, Paul Schrader gave a master class in a series of master classes. So if you go onto YouTube and you type in Paul Schrader dash master class, and then it's number sign three. So it's the third one. I don't know if he did three or, or, or if he's just the third speaker for that day. And his master class was on this story about how Dying of the Light became dark. And it was supposed to be a master class on directing imagery and creating profound imagery. Uh, yeah, you look like you're about to say something. The first thing I will say is that Paul Schrader, while he may be a very talented filmmaker, is not the most talented orator oh, that I've not. ever heard. Oh, no. He he got real nervous public speaking. You can tell. I Like, his hands are shaking. He's got, like, a glass of water with him, which oh is shaking. Just like, trembling the entire yeah. time. And, and usually, like, the jitters, I don't know, I, when I'm public speaking, not that I've done that in a long time, but mm-hmm. I, I get a little bit nervous at first, and I'm able to calm down a couple minutes in. Um, and then especially if I have to take a break from it in order to, like, show a clip of something or to go to my computer and like change slides. That's when you're able to kind of compose yourself and like get it, get your shit together. Yeah. He seemed to get worse after <laughs> his breaks. I don't know that he got worse, but he certainly didn't get that much better, if any better. But so I, I should say as well, perhaps I wasn't articulate enough a, a second ago, but what we were able to watch was this masterclass where he cut in three scenes from the movie. So with the entire movie only being 70 minutes long, we saw, what would you say, maybe about 20 to 30 minutes of the movie? Yeah, we saw the last 15 minutes in the movie and then two scenes that were probably like five to 10 minutes each. Yeah, and those were intercut back to back with the original dying of the light scenes. Correct. Those first two. And right, then we so saw you could really original. see the difference. Yeah. Yeah, which was helpful because I wouldn't don't remember. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, but it all came rushing back to me in short order. Well, it's funny because I didn't realize that that's what he was doing. So, like the first scene that I saw, which was actually from 2014, "Dying of the Light," I was thinking, I was like, "This looks familiar." Like, how much did he change? And then it cuts, and then you see the scene start over, and you see the lighting is all different, and Mm. then you see all these like weird artistic choices and it's like oh this is what he did yeah and i'm sure we'll talk about what those artistic choices are in a moment Mm -hmm. 
But yeah, any other background info that you wanted to go over? No. Okay. Well, I think we spoke a lot in the Dying of the Light podcast about the... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so go back and listen to our Dying of the Light podcast if you're really hungry for more of a more robust telling of what the story was. Yeah, basically what I think Steve mentioned this, but just to set the set the scene here, what he was able to do is with, I think, one other person, I, I believe yeah. it was a tag team effort, mm-hmm. um, they were able to use the theatrical cuts and then whatever other cuts he still had laying around to yeah. put all this together. And what we watched in some behind the scenes clips of them creating and re-editing this is that they utilized an iPhone a lot, yes. which was an interesting choice. Yeah. Um, to zoom in and kind of play with like perspective and qual- like visual quality and audio quality. Yeah. Like sometimes you saw like the the visual quality of the original camera, but with just like a weird like film or like filter over it. You can tell it was the original camera and they just like did some like light editing to it. And then sometimes it's obvious that it's like some guy standing in front of a screen. Zooming in on Zooming in on Nick Cage's mouth with their iPhone, similar to like a bad bootleg of a movie. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Um not that I've ever seen a bootleg of a movie. No, but like, you know, you, you... I think everyone knows what this looks like. Yeah, exactly. And then the audio quality would be like you recording the audio from the original movie on your iPhone. Yeah. And it's done intentionally, I think. And we'll talk about that. Correct. In a second. I, but And there's like a progression of it. So the first yeah. scene that we watch, like the scenes that we watch, the three scenes are chronological in the movie. Mm-hmm. So the first scene and, you know, like we explained, this is a movie in some ways about a man progressing through his early onset dementia Mm -hmm. too. Like the dementia gets worse throughout the film. So I believe that the artistic choices were there so that like in the first scene that he recut, there's only a few like oddities about it. And then in the second scene, there's a little bit more. And then in the last scene, it's just like a bunch of wild bullshit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, the last scene certainly is a bunch of wild bullshit. I think the first two are sort of similar. Maybe there is a little bit more in the second than the first. But the last the last is certainly a bunch of wild bullshit, as you <laughs> noted so eloquently. I mean, do you want me to use some words to describe what we saw? Or should we like... No, go, we'll get into like, it. get into the yeah. scene. Okay. Yeah, you ready? As long as you don't have it. Yeah, any. that's fine. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Great. So let's get into it. And the first scene that we see is Nicolas Cage bringing up his plan to infiltrate the terrorist organization to go capture or kill the terrorist who tortured him so many years ago. He's bringing this up to his boss at the CIA. He is getting nothing from his boss and his boss discovers that he has been using a fake name and going to the University of Pennsylvania to get treatment for his early onset dementia. The doctor rolls in, who's like this really spooky neuro- neurologist. He's got such a Weird sinister accent. voice. Yeah. yeah. But uh, then Nicolas Cage starts going off on a tangent about how nobody cares about him at the CIA and, and the CIA effed everything up. And then he ends his rant with a, you've got your head so far up Obama's ass, you you stop smelling his shit or something like that. Yeah. Uh, so I'm not sure if I'll insert the original clip or not. Again, you can go back to our Dying of yeah, Light Yeah, I think episode. we should only use 
the uh, dark clips. Gotcha. So they'll be very similar, but you'll hear maybe the audio differences. So that was the original scene. And then actually right after that, I should say, in the original scene is they show him at his office being escorted out by two security guards. And he screams, I resign. Yeah. That's a good scene. He's like throwing shit around. Oh, yeah. He's like, this is what they give people with a medal of honor people with values a stupid plaque yeah and they're like come on man he's just pissed yeah he's pissed and he's got dementia so he's almost like bipolar in a sense where he sort of overreacts at times and underreacts at other times Mm -hmm. so then we see the director's cut and it's a very similar scene up until his boss calls him out for his dementia then you see Nicolas cage's hands start to twitch a little bit and then it's very clear to us that he's starting to feel the symptoms and suddenly Paul Schrader starts playing with those zoom-ins and those audio quality changes, and he plays a lot with chronology. So he'll ins- he'll intercut that scene at the office, um, at his boss's office, with that scene of him being escorted out of the building, and he'll kind of piecemeal those together to make this overall vision of maybe this foggy brain that this person mm-hmm. has, you know, can't quite remember things properly while you know, experiencing these, these symptoms of, I think it was CTE. Is that, was that what the abbreviation is? Yeah. Yeah. So that's pretty much as much as I think I can say for this first scene. Yeah. I, there's some, I went, (laughs) I lived in Pittsburgh and there was this, I don't know if it's still there, but there was this museum of postmodern art. Oh boy. Are you familiar with anything postmodern? Is it anything like this? Is yeah, that what, yeah, it's exactly like this. I mean, and I've also been to like the Andy Warhol Museum and I feel sure. like you see very similar things to this. But like in the Museum of Postmodern Art, there was like a video of like a pig, like par- like parts of a pig, like just like watching the parts of the pig yeah. and it like zoomed in on on the parts of the, yeah. of the fetal pig and then okay. it like grew into like an adult and then like the pig died and there were like like decaying pig parts like things like that yeah so that's postmodern art very avant-garde yes um and i think that that's what paul schrader is trying to do here but i also will say that at my high school we had a film festival <laughs> right and the quality of the films and the editing were very similar yeah yeah it it was pretty bad and and i think it was partially intentional because he was maybe hopefully i don't know maybe i'm putting words in his mouth there's only so much you can do with an iphone and like lighting changes but there are there are programs that you can use digitally to zoom in on certain things oh yeah i mean it was intentional like he wanted it to be exactly he wanted it to be low quality to represent Perhaps the, the low, low quality, quality of, of his brain. Of his brain. <laughs> the low quality of Nicolas Cage's acting. It's too no, obvious, though. I, I think I think you're right. I think that there's got to be... There's like a middle ground there's there. There's a middle ground between that, maybe, and the Industrial Symphony. Right. Where Industrial Symphony is like, there's a skinned, uh, like a 20-foot <laughs> tall skinned deer and like a dwarf playing the saxophone. And you're like... <laughs> I don't know what any of this means. <laughs> like this, it's like, I know exactly what he's trying to do. And that's why I don't like it. I want sure. there to still be some type of air of mystery. And I guess in the last scene, there yeah. is. Yeah. But in like the most annoying possible way. Yeah. So let's let's talk <laughs> about the next scene real quick. And the next scene is what I remembered was 
the famous restaurant scene. So Nicolas Cage and Anton Yelchin decide to betray the CIA, go on their own to this, Romania. Was it Romania? Bucharest. Yeah. Bucharest to uh, find this doctor and they, they have an informant who's an old flame of Nicolas Cage's. The doctor of the terrorist. Yes. Who's prescribing him medication. That's how Nick found where the terrorist is. Yes. Yeah. So, and again, their plan is to impersonate the terrorist, or I'm sorry, impersonate the doctor to get face to face with the terrorist. Right. I know you explained that earlier, but it was probably like 15 minutes ago. Yeah, it's all right. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, yeah, I was telling you the other day, usually whenever I listen back to this and you clarify something for our audience, it's needed. needed. (laughs) Yeah. So, so Nicolas Cage in this scene, in the original recipe version of this scene, Nicolas Cage lights a cigarette in this restaurant in Romania, and the waiter comes over and says, I'm sorry, sir, you can't smoke here. And he has this outburst. He pulls out his ticket stub from his flight and says, wait, let me double check. Yeah, I thought this was Romania. Your whole country's goddamn smoking section. And the waiter's just like, ah, sorry. He's like, sir, this sir. is the policy. And he's like, fine, I'm putting it out, fucking Jesus. And he like throws it in a glass of water. And then... Anton Yelchin tells this long, boring story about how he met Nicolas Cage. And how he fell in love with him. <laughs> and then Anton, yeah, right. And then Anton Yelchin up and leaves. And Nicolas Cage, seemingly out of nowhere, gets up and open mouth kisses the woman across the table, their informant that he had this previous flame with, who was going to tell him the whereabouts of this doctor. Such a nasty kiss. It was gross. So that was the, that was the original recipe scene. In the director's cut, it's very similar to that first scene we described where they're doing a lot of plays with zooming in, they're playing around with chronology, uh, audio changes, the quality of the audio's going in and out, and it's while he has his outburst at the waiter. But I think importantly, in the new version, there was talk about a wedding ring that was going to be melted down from a bullet in the previous scene. There was That was all taken out. Anton Yelchin's story was very short, and he like I think more reasonably gets up and leaves the table. I think that Paul doesn't care about the other characters and he only cares about Nick's character. But I think the most important change (laughs) in this scene is that she goes, I want you to get up and kiss me across the table. Like it's not random. Like it was so random in the original cut that he just gets up and kisses her. But at least she requests it. I'm trying to think like I... In some ways, I remember that from the original cut, and then I was confused why they didn't put it in, like, this masterclass thing. I'm pretty sure that I I can double check, but... I don't know. It doesn't matter. (laughs) I just have from my previous notes that he kisses her, ew. (laughs) Uh But there's also a saxophonist who they may have superimposed into the scene. Absolutely. <laughs> I don't know if that Definitely was B-roll looks like a or... green screen saxophonist. Yeah. So anyway, like I said, very similar to the first. To the first. <laughs> what scene. is it called when it's like free for public use? Oh, uh, like a stock video yeah. or a stock image? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like a stock saxophonist. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We <laughs> kind of was, but the lighting was pretty similar. So part of me thinks that maybe it was there, and it was just a different angle that was filmed. Mm-hmm. But. You're right. It might have been a stock saxophonist, just a woman in a sequence dress playing yeah, the saxophone. It almost looked like she was like a hologram. <laughs> yeah, kind of <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, I don't know. I'd have to go back and look. So the final scene is the climax in the director's cut and what Paul Schrader describes as the last 15 minutes or so. And as I mentioned previously in the in Dying of the Light, 
Nicolas Cage impersonates the doctor. He makes it to the the terrorist's house. He has has a face off with him essentially, no pun intended. <laughs> he he then gets sort of mentally tricked by the terrorist to not kill him. He leaves the terrorist crony show up to his hotel. Ki- might even kill Anton Yelchin. Yes. Um, no. They start. Sh- uh, no, he, Anton he takes Yelchin a bullet. Survives. Though. He takes a bullet because at the end he he's at the gravesite. You're right. Yeah. So Nick Cage goes back, has a big brawl with this terrorist after after his guys shoot up the place. Then uh, Nick Cage he's driving home after this mission. And he very intentionally pulls his Swerves car. into sw- oncoming traffic exactly. to kill himself. Yes. What a way to die. That's, I mean, you know, and, and a lot of that is due to, at least we're led to believe it was due to the PTSD and the dementia mm-hmm. that he that he experienced throughout the movie. So, But also in a way, like, he accomplished his life goal at this point, which was killing right. this guy. Right. So like, he's like, I have nothing left to live for. Yeah, like he had no family. Yeah. You know, his his whole life was, was sort of tracking down. just Ruby Tuesdays, down. and that's pretty much it. If you were, we haven't mentioned it yet because it wasn't in this cut, but this is the movie that Nick Cage ate at Ruby Tuesdays, and we had to ask ourselves the question: Do we think that Nick Cage knew what a Ruby Tuesdays was before <laughs> this movie, or is this the first time that he's ever heard of it? I forgot. I forgot about that. It's very that we... very important. <laughs> Do you think he had ever heard of a Ruby Tuesdays before? <laughs> That's great. So anyway, in the director's cut of the climax, we start at the hotel where the night before everything's about to go down, where Nicolas Cage and Anton Yelchin reminisce about their time in the park. And it's the park scene where Nick Cage was wearing this big, giant, fuzzy Russian hat. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. he has his mouth sort of agape, and he's really awkwardly touching Anton Yelchin's coat. It's like really exhibiting those dementia symptoms yeah and it was a little like obvious i thought yeah, in dying of the light maybe that's why paul schrader left that out yeah maybe uh so and again he's paul schrader's doing the same sort of thing he's playing with the tints and he's doing some everything's cool. super yellow like it's, everyone looks very sallow yeah yeah everybody's got jaundice <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah and it's it's very quick cuts this time i thought too like there's no fading into no. the next scene and it was a which quick made, if we didn't know what actually happened i would have no idea yeah. i'd be incredibly confused oh yeah if you had only watched dark i think you'd be really confused you have no idea what this movie's about absolutely <laughs> then as nick cage dressed as the doctor he's got fake makeup on and in fake, fake accent fake accent dressed as the doctor as he's on his way to the terrorist's house there's just like five full minutes of b-roll where it's just people on the street walking down the street and like birds flying overhead and like cars driving down it was just going on for way too long i thought honestly and that's where maybe producers could step in and say all right let's shorten this down you know what i mean like but the problem was that the producers stepped in and said trash the whole thing we're gonna make it a paint by numbers film so he's face to face with the terrorist he knocks out the terrorist's bro, if you remember from the previous movie. The terrorist has a guy with him, and he knocks him out real quick, comes face to face, and then they have their their showdown, and it immediately becomes... Like a n- light and color show. Nonsensical. Yeah, it's, a, it's like, really hard to hear everything. There's just a bad acid trip happening. There's literal lightning bolts shooting across the street. So corny. Yeah, pretty pretty rough. Audio is very difficult to understand. Like I said, if we did not understand 
the backstory yeah from watching the full-length movie yeah. we would have no fucking clue no. what was going on here. absolutely not it was just like trying to be really edgy yeah and, and failing and another way they tried to be really edgy and failed was they played operatic music and then quickly cut to baby it's cold outside Hated you know that. the rapey christmas song <laughs> For some reason. And had, like, also stock images of, like, old people yeah. around the holidays. Yeah. And now it's, like, <laughs> tinted with blues and reds. And it's you can almost hardly make out what's see, what you're seeing on the screen. And then things... And then, like, remember that there's also an iPhone footage. <laughs> yeah. Like, zooming in and out of a TV screen. And uh, so Nick Cage, meanwhile, there's still this undercurrent of Nicolas Cage and this terrorist having a conversation. And they leave in what I thought was the most poorly delivered line in Dying of the Light, which is Nick Cage going, you have a disease of the blood, mine is in the brain. And like, I just thought it was so poorly delivered. And I think I remember now when we were talking about Dying of the Light. That's exactly how it was. You can, (laughs) thank you. You can have a line like that, but you have to earn it. Like, you have to make it believable that this person has dementia because otherwise when it's isolated like that, it takes you out of the movie. And that's oh, you're telling exactly me happened. that the scene with him in the Russian hat didn't make you believe he had no, dementia? It was too over the top. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Then there's it just blurs to blues and reds and yellows, and you can't really see much of anything. And you hear a voice, a mysterious voice of clearly a man saying, Evan, come upstairs. <laughs> Like pretending to be his mom. His mom, but it's definitely like it's it's definitely Paul Schrader's assistant. Like do like trying to do a <laughs> like feminine. They couldn't voice. even get a woman nah. to just like be like go out like walk outside of the UCLA cutting room that they were doing this in and see the next girl walking by on her way to class and been like, Hey, can you come in here and record this real quick? Yeah. They couldn't even get that. Nah. <laughs> then uh there's in those scenes that are intercut, one of the scenes is Nicolas Cage pulling his car into the uh, oncoming traffic. And then, you know, a few random stock photo scenes go by, and then the last scene is a long still shot of the cemetery and on his gravestone. So it's pretty ambiguous as to what happened. But I think through the imagery, what the audience is supposed to gather is that Nicolas Cage kills the... You know, exactly what happens, almost exactly what happens in the movie, except, I guess, with the shootout at the hotel, where Nicolas Cage kills the terrorist, he returns home, and he kills himself. And so it ended much quicker, I thought, than the first It was movie. very abrupt. And I kind of appreciated that. Yeah, in some ways. But like you said, it was super ambiguous, and I don't think that it earned that, like, in a similar respect, where, like... Can it earn to have a line like that? I think that a movie needs to earn an ambiguous ending. Yeah. Well, yeah, but to be fair, we didn't watch the We didn't the watch the whole movie. movie. That's true. Yeah. The three scenes that we watched, I don't think earned it. Well, yeah, but... At I, least the ending didn't. Let, let me ask you this. Do you think that if you had seen a whole movie, or perhaps it was edited better, but it was that same feel where wherever Nicolas Cage is feeling these symptoms... It starts getting flashy, and there's they're playing with scenes and chronology. Do you think that would have been a better movie than Dying of the Light? So listen. Yeah. In 2010, mm-hmm. I wrote a play mm-hmm. about... <laughs> I've never told you that. Did I, have I mention this on the I podcast don't know, I don't, before? I don't know. About an autistic man. 
Okay. And every time, this is so like, I don't know why I thought that I could do this because nah, yeah. I didn't consult any, the, clearly this went nowhere. Uh-huh, so don't uh-huh. judge me for okay. this. Uh-huh. But every time that this autistic man, older man, would think of his mother or show like some sign of not like having a full grasp on like the social situation at hand, mm-hmm. we would have some type of lighting change. Or we would have some type of like music change. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, and that was 2010. I think that Paul Schrader watched, <laughs> read <laughs> my yeah. play. Oh, you're you're calling plagiarism. I love it. I think because that was even before 2014 when he originally tried to make the Dying of the Light movie. So I think Paul Schrader <laughs> got a copy of my play, which was like basically flowers for Algernon. <laughs> and I am Sam. <laughs> And I am Sam yeah. mixed together with some avant-garde bullshit uh-huh. and then made this movie. I love the image <laughs> of like some other low-rent podcaster out there who had the idea for Taxi Driver <laughs> and some other third one out there had the idea for American Gigolo. <laughs> and Paul Schrader's just scouring like high school reports. <laughs> I don't know if it was high school or college. It's for you, like but... Big Fat Liar. Ooh, it is like big. He big fat liared me. Oh, Paul he got Giamatti a copy. could play Paul Schrader in a movie. He really could. They're kind of similar. They I feel are. like Paul, Paul Giamatti could. Would, would do a really good job of, of being that awkward. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but yeah, I wish I remembered what it was called. Maybe it's on like Google Docs or something and I can find it one day. Oh, that'd be amazing. We we'll do a live reading. We'll do, we'll do so a dramatic bad. reading. I remember like the only characters were the guy, his mom, and like a little boy walking on the street being like, why are you the way that you are? Oh my goodness. <laughs> Super offensive. Yeah, probably. <laughs> but you were young. You yeah, thought I was you, in high school. You thought everybody else is doing it. Fucking, what's his name? Uh, Sean Penn is playing, you know, the character in I Am Sam. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, looking back, that's offensive. Why not get yeah. an actual person on the spectrum I to play know. it? A lot of people on the spectrum were in that movie. No, his I know, friends. but he was the star. Yeah. 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 Nah, I they mean, do, there was they a recent a movie made yeah. by Sia that had like oh, public yeah. outrage uproar. Yeah, well, that's what I mean. Like, they do it differently now. You right. Know, like, but I was, I mean, I think it's pretty innocuous. Yeah, no, you it's were like a 17 year old girl. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> You're not. Who had no intention of like doing anything with this. It was like i don't i just no, thought it would yeah. would be cool yeah you're you're not legendary screenwriter paul, paul Schrader. Schrader. i didn't yeah. write taxi driver first and then write this offensive play yeah yeah working with the greats like scorsese <laughs> scorsese schrader martin but i think he big fat liared me oh for and sure that's why this movie is cut the way that it is and has the light references because i also had those light references i'll be and honest the sound references few things one i did not expect this podcast to be this long oh i know <laughs> two i did not expect this podcast to end this way in such an incredible the, like an accusation <laughs> yeah that's so I've funny i've been saving this for a long time wow that's amazing i'll have to find it yeah uh wow okay i'm almost at a loss for words but not quite i think we should move on to uh closing thoughts and do we do nick cage awards for this one i just don't know how we can because it's the same scenes. Right. The only difference is the lighting. Um, and it's the same screams it's the as same before, screams. too. So go back to, like, Dying of the Light, mm-hmm. um, and we can... 
well, let me say a- that those are the ones that would be for this. Well, sure. Or I guess like maybe we can just pick out of the three things that we saw. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you. One is what was your favorite of the three scenes? Probably the first one. The first one. Okay. Because I liked that in the original movie, like him freaking out in his office. Yeah. And there was a fun little rant he did too, which I think it made it more, I think making it more artistic made it less awkward. Yeah. I could see that. Because it was kind of awkward. He was like, the CIA effed up 9-11. They effed up Benghazi. They effed up this. They effed up that. You got your head so far up Obama's ass. And it's just sort of awkward in the original cut. All right, so we'll just say that that is the best scene from this version of the movie. And we'll save the other awards for the other uh, Dying of the Light. We'll say we'll just say go back to Dying of the Light if you're curious. Unfortunately, my one-act play um, is not on my Google Drive because Damn. my Google Drive only goes back to 2011. Oh, just missed it. <laughs> Very unfortunate. All right, Han. Well, this is another tough question for you. Where are you ranking this one? Now, mind it, we only saw three scenes. Yeah. I don't want to put it next to Dying in the Light because I don't think I liked it as much. <laughs> okay. So dying of But the, it makes sense to put it next to Dying of the Light. Right. Dying of the Light is number 29. And if you didn't like this one as much, we go down from there, which is Arsenal. Dying of the Light is 29? Yeah, we have it up there pretty high. Why? I don't know. I think put we have fun like with it. Put it like near the end. Put this one near the end. Yeah. Bottom I mean, five? To me, this is like... A, no, I wouldn't call it bottom five. It, like, I, I can appreciate... I can appreciate what he did more than I can appreciate Industrial Symphony. <laughs> gotcha all right well let's shoot up to number 70 then we have the runner better or worse what was that one again that one was he was the uh politician running for office in new orleans worse Worse than that uh pay the ghost Mm, better oh wow all right that was quick (laughs) so that is going to make dark number 71 out of 86 85 85 i think that's suitable yeah we've got some real stinkers under there uh i'm looking at the ant bully why, amos and andrew the boy in blue <laughs> you know what it was wasn't that bad no i think we just really enjoyed ruby tuesdays and that, yes that pushed it up there for us that is absolutely true all right well that's going to cover the rankings and next week we are watching a movie i'm very excited about i'm stoked it's called mandy it's got a 90 percent on rotten tomatoes yeah this is well loved it is Recently, the Russo brothers who directed all the Avengers movies were asked what are their five most inspirational movies for... Influential? Uh, influential movies on yeah. their career. And they stated Mandy as one of their wow. top five most influential movies of on their, their career. career. That's so cool. Which A movie I, that came out in 2018. Yeah, but you know they made movies after 2018 yeah. and they made movies before 2018. I wonder if their work after 2018 is reflective of Mandy, which I I'm guess not we'll sure. find out. I guess we will find out. I'm very very excited. I know that a lot of a lot of our fans have uh, been excited for this as well. Yeah, that should be fun. So finally, a decent movie that should be easy to find. <laughs> yeah, I actually, think I, a lot I think of these have mo- already found it. Uh, the recent movies have been easy to find, and they've been pretty solid recently. I think as and, well. Yeah, and free. <laughs> and free which is helpful all right Hannah. with the exception of dark 2017 mm, yeah that one you gotta drive up to moma <laughs> or Maybe. ucla or university of austin texas whichever one's the closest yeah yeah 
Well, I think that's going to do it for me, Han. Like I said, I did not expect to have a 45-minute podcast mm. this week, but here we are. Any other closing thoughts before we get out of here? No, I, I'm i sorry if you're into this like avant-garde kind of thing. That's just not our style. Yeah. Yeah, I, I can... I think if I were to have watched the entire movie, I think I would have found value in it. Yeah, um, some appreciation for it. Certainly more so than some of the David Lynch stuff that we've watched. Mm-hmm. But I agree with you. This one, it just didn't capture us. And I think it's only because we watched three scenes. So I'll put an asterisk next to it in the rankings. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> no, that's it. All right. Just remember, we'll always be here for you through Nick and Thin. Thanks for listening, guys. Take care. Ow.